Hey everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Sam Moore, and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hello, what's up everybody? And you might hear some purring also. I'm joined by our cat Stella is in my lap today. That, that's not our cat, some... right? Like, it's not like mine and yours. Oh. <laughs> Austin and mine's cat. All right, so today we are covering just a stake of where stocks, bonds, and the economy are just from a slower uh, economic news week from, from last week. And before we get into that, a quick disclosure, none of this is investment advice, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors. This is for educational purposes only. And with that, Fabian, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Just, uh, you know, getting back to normal. My pants are starting to fit again after after Thanksgiving and all, and all the turkey and mashed potatoes and sides. Yeah. Well, I'm sure... If your Thanksgiving dinner was anything like mine, then the stock market came up because that's just a riveting thing to talk about, right? One, 100% yes. <laughs> well, year to date, stocks are down 16% from all-time highs from the beginning of the year. So a quick recap is pretty much the all-time high was right around January of this year. And things started trading a little bit lower as soon as the Federal Reserve got serious about uh, raising interest rates. So whenever you're raising interest rates, you're slowing the economy. That's a higher percentage chance of a recession happening. So that's part of the reason why um, there was a big slow stock sell-off that's kind of grinded lower throughout throughout the year. Now, the S&P 500 might be down, call it 16%, but then there's been another kind of major sell-off happening underneath the uh, the, the major stock market indices, and that is unprofitable tech companies. So when you had a zero rate interest rate environment where we did from call it uh, effectively 2019 until beginning of this year, it allowed a lot of companies to, to lose money and hopefully grow and take uh, market share. So like Uber is a great example. It was unprofitable tech company trying to grow over time. And there's a, there's tons of other examples. Well, during 2020 and 2021, those companies kind of took off gangbusters. Now, a little bit of the meme stock stuff involved in that, a little bit of speculation involved with that. But all of 2020, these high growth tech stocks took off. Well, right around, call it September 21, beginning of, of the year 22, those started kind of rolling over. And now if you're looking at, at a chart of those, they're actually below the S&P 500 on a performance standpoint, if you're going from beginning of COVID to now. So I find that interesting. And I'm sure that came up at your dinner table. Oh yeah. I mean, we brought up this chart and everything. If you're looking at the newsletter, the chart that's in there, I brought it out. Um, I I do have a question for you on this. Um, So could this have been avoidable? Like, do you think where we were at, where these companies were at in 2020, 2021, that they could have avoided something like this where layoffs are happening, they're quote unquote profitless, right? They, you, you know, could they have done anything differently? Yeah. So I think there's, there's two things in there from a stock standpoint, stock price standpoint, you can't do too much as a company in the short term to change your stock price. So these unprofitable tech companies that went gangbusters in 2020, you kind of ride that wave in a way, and they were told to to lose money and, and try and grow and gain market share as much as possible. 
And then there's the other companies that you you hear in the headlines like Facebook, Google, Amazon, and uh, Shopify is a great example as, as well is we had this huge growth in 2020, like this stair-step growth in, in tech and in online. And everyone expected that to continue for some reason. And uh, Toby, the, the Shopify CEO, has actually a great explanation is a lot of these companies just overhired in a way and continuing to expect growth from 2020 to continue on at the same level. And what you're getting is growth is just returning to kind of pre-code levels. It's still good. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Google's still growing like 15, 20%. Um, they just hired too many people, I think, in expectation of continued growth. And then like Meta is a whole other example we talked about where they changed their business strategy. They're spending enough money to go to the moon to build the metaverse. Um, so I think a little bit of like the big tech companies overhired, it seems like, in, in, in expectation of future growth that was outline of historicals. And then there's these unprofitable tech companies that just they got too high on a valuation standpoint. And we talked about valuations last week. So like price to earnings and things like that. A historical average is like around... 15, 16, 17 for, for the market. And some of these tech companies were trading at 400 times earnings, which is just uh, extremely, extremely high. Um, it's hard to make a profit at a stock level when you're buying something at that mm. high of a, of a price. So, Got it. And then switching gears, so that's stocks. So that's like the risky part of the market. There's also bonds, which we use in, in client portfolios. So in the short term, Bonds are supposed to be considered like a safe asset. So it, it's pretty much a, a contract that you, you, you're buying this asset at a set price and you're going to get interest, interest payments over the holding period. And then eventually it'll mature and you, you'll get your money back at, at par. So that's how it's normally supposed to work. The, the, the value of a bond doesn't usually fluctuate too much, except for this year, obviously. So uh, a bond's price is inversely related to interest rates. So they have the opposite relationship. So if interest rates go up, a bond price goes down. So you can think of it this way, Fabian, if you buy a 2% bond today and then interest rates go up in a month and now new bonds are at 4%, would you rather have that 2% bond or that 4% bond? I don't know. Excuse me. I'm still a little bit confused, so maybe roll it back sure. a, a little bit. So, when, sure. and maybe other people can can kind of feel me on this. But okay, so when you're buying a bond, like start there. When you're buying a bond at a certain percent, you're holding it for a set amount of time, and mm-hmm. at the end of that, whatever, how, how long are bonds typically held for? Depends on the maturity. So you can go, you can buy a bond for three months all the way up to to twenty years. Right. Okay. So let's say you're doing it mm-hmm. for five years. Sure. And so is it growing while you're holding on to it at 2% every year? No. So the the level of it stays the same. So you when you when you buy a bond, you the price the the value of that usually stays really steady. So a great example is if you buy a US Treasury for $1000, it's going to stay around that level. Whereas a stock it's going to go up and down every single day. And let's say you buy a 5-year US Treasury at 2%, you're going to hold it for five years. You get a 2% return. And then at the end of that, you get your thousand dollars back. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So safer asset. Okay. So So now to answer your question, would I rather buy it at 2% or at 4%? 
Mm -hmm. right? I think it it seems obvious that a 4% return is better than 2%, so I would say 4%. Exactly. And that's what happens with the bond market is you get a repricing. So as interest rates increase, the value of that 2% bond actually decreases. So that's kind of what's happened this year. So as rates effectively were around zero, which we've talked a lot about, and now kind of jumped all the way to 4% in a matter of nine months. That's kind of, that's a really big swing in bond world. And there's a lot of pain involved with that for, for bond investors. So the average bond, when you're looking at an index, so there's a boring one called the Bloomberg US aggregate one, that's down close to 15%. And that's, that's like a huge, huge negative return for bonds. That is, that is not normally happen that way. So it's been uh, interesting, I guess, from my standpoint to watch the two big things that make up a portfolio, stocks, the risky part, and bonds, the supposedly safe part, actually have like really close performance um, in that regard. Interesting. Okay. So that's stocks and bonds. And then circling to, to the economy, in the future of that, we touched on it earlier. So tech having layoffs that's being in the headlines, that's definitely being magnified by the public restructuring of, of Twitter. If you're if you're a boring uh, finance Twitter person like me, it's definitely interesting to watch a company be restructured in real time and kind of the the decisions being made, broadcasted out. And you can hear my dog just came in. We'll see if the cat. It's a pet friendly show over here at Flipping Finance. <laughs> Not, not for the cat. Not for the cat. So circling back from, from pets to the economy is the public restructuring of Twitter. But at the same time, tech employees only make up roughly 3% of, of total employment in, in the workforce. So it's getting a lot of headlines. It's definitely scary to see uh, layoffs and and things in, in the headlines. But from an overall like total labor market, it's really small. And we've got a chart in here that shows tech layoffs and then total employment as well. So you'll see that like total employment layoffs is kind of, it's pretty steady. And then you see tech just oscillates widely around, around total employment. So we'll, we'll include this in the show notes, but just to show that this is not an abnormal thing that's going on. It, it happens during recessions, but it also happens throughout business cycles as well. So just putting that in perspective. And then from the total level of, of layoffs, and this is including tech, right now layoffs are still below pre-COVID levels. So we're not really seeing the labor market weakening yet. We still have unemployment at 3.7. And at the same time, there's the Atlanta GDP uh, predictor has the fourth quarter growing up at about 4.3%. So things are still looking good from that situation. You know, when you go into the show notes and you see these charts, it's so interesting. So I do have a question here. One, it's just remarkable that the huge spike in 2020, obviously we all know what happened there. The pandemic, people Mm -hmm. shut down, offices closed. Obviously layoffs were happening. We didn't know it was going to go on. But this other one, the, the, the first, like this first chart, what happened around 2000? Like, what am I missing? What happened around 2001, 2002, other than like- Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, 2000, if you're looking at the chart, 2000 shows a big spike in, in tech, tech layoffs yep. and then a rolling 
uh, increase uh, of total layoffs later throughout 2001. So that was the dot-com boom, and which is, I think, uh, a good analogy for where we currently are and why people are concerned for 2023 and the economy and why this comes up so much. But effectively, we had a big kind of valuation and, and tech companies back in 2001. Now, things are very different uh, than it was back back then. But at the same time, there was a large amount of of tech, tech layoffs that rippled eventually through the economy. And that led to like a minor recession in 2001. So that so, was the big dot-com bubble that people yeah, referred to? Okay. Yeah. And actually, like complete nerdy side note, uh, the 2001 economic recession only had one concurrent negative GDP print. So like everyone was freaking out earlier this year that we were in recession from two negative GDP quarters. Well, that's not like the really rule of thumb of recession. The official one is like decided by the NPR, NPER, but the recession in 2001 only had one negative quarter of GDP uh, growth in it. So anyways, and then uh, we touched on crypto and that probably comes up at Thanksgiving a lot. Um, but because it was such a big thing in our story last week on FTX and that continuing unfolding of insanity the overall index of, of crypto, which you can look at online, is, and that includes like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the other ones, is down over 80% from its all-time high. And you asked a great question last week about Coinbase, so I added this in here. So Coinbase's stock is actually down 88%. But if you go and look at their bonds, now remember we just touched on earlier that bonds are supposed to be the safe asset and everything. Uh, not always the case for corporate bonds because... The corporate bonds of Coinbase are down almost 40% from all our time highs. So they're, wow. they're supposed to be a safe thing. And if you're looking at this, you can just see things start falling apart for them earlier this year. That's, I mean, that, that's nutty, but it's just, I, I don't know. Like we, we talked about it last week. I, you know, cashed in whatever, you know, money I had left in my Coinbase account. A mm-hmm. um, little bit of regret there, but but maybe not. You know, I think where I got scared was where, you know, you had mentioned that um, specifically with people that were invested with FTX, just their redemption, not being able to get their money back out. And that's really mm-hmm. kind of what hit home. It's just like you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know? Something so. similar happened again this week. So a smaller one called BlockFi filed for bankruptcy. So if you had, if you had money on there, it's, you're probably not getting it back. So I also did hear that Tom Brady lost a ton of money in that. Uh, probably a lot of the people that were involved with, uh, I think with, he lost, with FTX. Yeah. Oh yeah, if you put money with FTX, it's uh, it's probably a zero for some time. Dang. Yeah. So diversify. He's got money to burn. He'll be okay. He'll bounce back. Well, I think he lost half of all Anyways. of his of all of his money. Well, he got divorced. Uh, oh, but him. <laughs> But and that, that's, so that's currently where stocks, bonds, and the economy are. And then just looking at the future, because I get this question a lot, like, what do you expect over the next year? And it's it's a horrible two-handed answer because in the short run, if you look at where valuations are, so the PE, we talk about that a lot, and the subsequent one-year returns, it has a, quote, R-squared. Now, that's a statistical variable that explains how strong the relationship is. So 100% is they, they move in tandem and then zero means they have uh, no relationship. Uh, your current starting valuation PE 
and the return has a relationship of 4%. So effectively, they don't really have a relationship at all. So when people were like, what's the market going to do over the next year? You have to remember that's like extremely short run of one year. I literally have no idea what's going to happen. And that, that's what I say. It's like, I have no idea. Probably like not a bad starting point. If you look at this on the chart, it's 16 times earnings. That's around the historical average. It's not bad. Could be better. Could be worse uh, in a way. But what does help for the starting valuation is five-year annualized return. So that has an R squared or a relationship of roughly 36%. So that's a lot better than 4%. Not extremely strong, but that gives you a, a better kind of starting point for what the long-term returns will be. And when you're starting at a valuation of roughly 16 times PE, that gives you a forward return of roughly like 8 to 9% annualized. It's not too bad. That's kind of historical averages um, going back over the last 50 years. So I like to say it's uh, not too shabby and we should, I think we got spoiled over the last, call it 10, 12 years of really strong stock returns. I think like more modest Boring people like me have been saying more modest returns for a, a long time. And we're kind of seeing that now with with stocks having a little bit of sell-off. Yeah, I think it's definitely a shock compared to what was going on kind of, you know, starting in 2020 through maybe six months ago. Yeah. Uh, where that performance was really good. And I didn't really start paying attention to to our investments as much as I probably should have been in the past until then um, when I saw that they were performing so well. So like seeing it now is definitely like, what What the hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why yeah. isn't it doing what it was doing before? Fix it. Exactly. Exactly. And then the other thing is bonds as well. So the starting point of your bond is going to be roughly around 95% of your return. Now, if, if interest rates go up, your bond return will be a little bit less. If interest rates go down, your bond return will be a little bit more. But if you buy a U.S. Treasury right now, 4%, like that's going to be your your return. So that's the good part is bond prices are going to be better going forward. That's a better bond return. That's probably better for our parents who have more bonds in their portfolios. Um, so that that's the good part there. And then it's kind of turning to the economy is, will we have a recession? I just talked about how the one year is, is incredibly hard to, to guess at. And I, I like I like throwing there's always these headlines from like Jeff Bezos coming out and saying things, saying he sees a recession coming, don't buy a TV or a fridge, hold on to your money. And now he has like, I don't know, five hundred economists working at Amazon for him. But at the same time, the Federal Reserve has like four hundred PhD economists and they have they clearly have no idea what's gonna happen either. So I always take these with a grain of salt if there's like a big headline of someone calling for a recession, you can just Google how many times Elon Musk has called for a recession. And it just, yeah, I don't think he's been right yet. So that's, that's also the other joke is you can be like, well, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't wrong. I was just early. So maybe, maybe these people are early. Let's put our tinfoil hats on real quick and, sure. and ask ourselves, why would Jeff Bezos tell people not to buy products from his own company. Like what would the benefit be in that other than like, I want to put this tweet out just to like, so people know that I'm smart and I'm right in like a couple of years. I think that's, I think you just, that's it right there. Ego? Like if, if I had a couple <laughs> like, you know, billion dollars and I was bored on my yacht, you know, I'd probably like say some stuff too. 
But I mean yeah. that that could neg- I mean that would negatively impact his business, right? Well, I guess he mm-hmm. he's not CEO anymore, but he's still making bank from it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's just um, people forget how hard it is to make predictions in the short run. And if I had a couple billion dollars, I'd probably make some headline predictions too. I mean, I don't have any billion dollars, and I started a podcast because I wanted to hear my voice. So probably the same thing. You did that. Now you've got a now you've got a podcast. Yeah, kind of detrimental to myself. So don't take any of my predictions seriously either. With that, that's always that's a that's all I've got for today, Fabian. Anything else on your mind? Send in questions. Email Sam at where? Where can people? Oh, you email can do you? that through through the Substack app. You can also email me at s a issermoyer i s s e r m o y e r at gmail dot com. And we're always happy to take questions, comments, leave a rating, subscribe, share, uh, help us grow this, and always open to feedback. Yeah, would love to get some some listener questions in here. I think those are always fun to answer. Um, you know, just to give a little bit different perspective than. Anything.